you know, I think one of the misconceptions around tiny houses is that people build them uh, maybe for mobility or for environmental reasons, but the majority of people I know building them, it's for financial freedom, right? They they want to take control over their own housing situation and not be tied into a 30-year mortgage or they can't afford a down payment or why spend that money on a down payment when you can own the house outright. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 74 with Lee Para. Lee Para is an early pioneer in the tiny house movement, and she actually helped build the first tiny house community that I ever saw, which was Boneyard Studios in Washington, D.C., I wanted to have Lee on the show because she is planning a tour to teach classes in construction project management. And in addition to that, she has a lot of experience building tiny house communities. We'll talk about why Boneyard Studios ultimately did not succeed, but it's all part of her tiny house journey. And it's a really interesting conversation. I think you'll learn a lot, and I think you'll be really inspired by the work that Lee is doing. So I hope you stick around. I'd like to tell you about the sponsor for today's show, Strategic Insurance Agency. Early on in the tiny house movement, getting insurance for your tiny home was incredibly difficult. Strategic Insurance Agency now offers homeowner-style insurance for movable and ground-bound tiny houses in all 50 states. That means you can get covered for fire, theft, liability, personal property, and more. People often pour their life savings into buying or building a tiny house. And Strategic Insurance Agency can help you protect that investment. They even cover your house if you want to try short-term rentals like Airbnb and offer special insurance for tiny house builders as well. The best part is that it's super easy to get a quote. Head over to mystrategicinsurance.com slash THLP to get a quick free quote for insuring your tiny home. And for every tiny house policy written, Strategic Insurance Agency will donate $5 to a tiny house charity of your choice. Again, that's mystrategicinsurance.com slash THLP for a free tiny house insurance quote. Thank you so much to Strategic Insurance Agency for sponsoring the show. All right, I am here with Lee Para. Lee is a geographer and community builder. She lived in 28 houses in six countries before landing in Washington, D.C., where she built her own tiny house on wheels and started a tiny house community. Founder of Cotiera, Lee shares her experience as a tiny house consultant, helping communities and cities implement zoning changes for tiny house development and leading workshops for individuals curious about the movement. Lee Para, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Ethan. You're very welcome. It's great to have you on. I was hoping we could just start kind of with your backstory. What brought you to the tiny house movement in the first place? And and why did you decide to jump in with your own tiny house? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I had, gosh, thought about tiny houses probably since grad school in like 2005. Um, Never really did anything about it. And then I moved to D.C. after grad school. And about two years into being in D.C., 
thought, okay, I'm ready to stop living like in a group house environment, ready for my own house. But at the time, which that was 10 years ago now, I thought, oh my gosh, houses are so expensive in DC. They've since only gone up. But so I thought, well, why don't I build a tiny house? Because I didn't see myself staying in DC at that point in time in my life. Um, I had moved, as your intro said, around the world growing up. I'd lived in so many places and I'd never really stayed any place longer than two or three years. Uh, And one of the things that I really missed living in DC was places to just hang out that didn't cost money. Um, A lot of the social life here was, I came here for a government job or geared around happy hours and going out to bars and spending money. And I really wanted to try to start a tiny house community there at that point in time, DC hadn't changed its zoning yet. So there were a lot of non-buildable alley lots. So there was a group of us who started building tiny houses um, back in 2012, kind of started it in 2011 with the planning phases after taking a tumbleweed tiny house workshop that Deke taught at the time. And uh, yeah, from there, it just, it grew. We had a community showcase for a few years. I hosted a ton of events and tiny house plays and concert series and open houses. And then when I went to live in it full time, I was in my friend's backyard for about four years. And now I have my tiny house in my backyard. That's awesome. Yeah. So has DC since changed its zoning? Um, Not for necessarily tiny houses on wheels, but yes, for accessory dwelling units and to allow development on alley lots. Okay. So they have kind of recognized, hey, we have all this usable space that we need to use. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of contentious um, and I'm not going to get into the long history of it. There's a whole book on on alley development in D.C. um, and why it was stopped and and then why it's opened up again. But um, yeah, so there's so a lot of those lots now that used to be not worth much are like two hundred thousand dollars. So it's kind of out of the realm of most people to be able to do that, to actually buy one and build a house on it. But D.C. has, like many other jurisdictions across the country, is allowing for accessory dwelling units. Um, They've had pretty good success with that. So the zoning rewrite happened in 2015, uh, so a few years ago now. Okay. And so Boneyard Studios is the name of the tiny house community that you helped build, right? right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And so what was was the vision for it? How did it go? What what is the currency? (laughs) So the vision was... I mean, we just kind of like started, which was part of the issue of why it fell apart, uh, because I had started looking for properties and then ended up meeting a couple of people. And one of the guys that I started it with, we were going to co-own it. He went and bought it. I didn't think much of that. I was like, okay, well, we'll just pay rent. It ended up being an issue in the end because we had very different value sets. So I wanted to do a lot of community building. and, And I was the one who organized all of the events and concert series. And my colleague, Jay, who was also into that, started our big open houses that we had, you know, once a month, we'd have 500 people come through every Sunday. Um, But our colleague, Brian, who had started it with us, decided he didn't want to do the open houses anymore. He didn't want to do these events. And it just got really, really messy. Um, And it started being like, well, I own this property. And so then he kicked us both off and very not so kind ways um, involving the authorities who chose to stay out of it, luckily, because they said this is nothing. Um, There was a lot of misinformation. The city did not kick us off the property. DC has been very supportive um, with accessory dwelling units and the like. 
So it was more of the fact that we didn't have down community bylaws, all of that, you know, in writing. We were all just so excited to start. So that's the one thing I talk a lot about when I teach workshops on tiny house communities is that I think a lot of people think, oh, I would love to live in a tiny house community. And they're a great model, but you really have to do all of the legwork up front to set it up in a way that everyone gets out of it what they're looking to get out of it because people coming in with very different values and visions, um, it's not going to work out. It's like living in a group house. Even yeah, I mean, it, space. <laughs> it's like it forces adults to cooperate in ways that like not many people are used to having cooperate maybe since like kindergarten. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you have to share. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the one thing people don't realize. It is really more like group house living than having your own house and being a neighbor to someone. Right. Right. There's a real, you know, people, people really idealize that like fantasy of shared shared space shared resources we can help each other we mm-hmm. you know it can be so affordable we don't all have to own our own you know commercial range to cook great meals but that is a really interesting cautionary tale of making sure that you go into it with people who have a similar vision and making right. sure that you're all on the same page about how decisions will be made as it, yeah. as it develops that being said it was still a great um a great few years. And I think none of us without the others would have started our project, right? Like we fed right. off of each other's energy. We built together, we shared tools and resources. Um, so a lot of people see it as a failure, but I don't, I see it as, you know, not everything is supposed to work for the long term. And I think we all got out of it what we needed to get out of it at that point in time. And we were able to do a ton of education. I mean, everyone in the tiny house movement from D from Deke, Jenna and, you know, Tiny House Expedition, everyone had come through Boneyard Studios and done events and done, it was really a space uh, for people to come and, and be able to tour tiny houses at a time when tiny houses hadn't yet exploded and there weren't that many to see in person. Right. There really was, um, you know, there were no, no tiny house festivals yet. There were no, like, mm-hmm. commercial builders with, like, lots of spec models at their factories that you could go check out. Right. So, so most yeah. of the people I know in D.C. who built, they've all come through my house years ago. And, you know, that was their first tiny house they had seen. So that's pretty cool. I like that about it. Nice. So then after Boneyard Studios, you moved in your house into a backyard? Yes. Mm-hmm. So because Jay and I, um, and I just want to give a little shout out here. I don't know if you know, but we lost our colleague Jay Austin last year. Tragically. So tragic. Yeah, tragically. Yeah. Um, and he really was probably one of the most gracious and generous people I know in the tiny house movement as far as always being so free in giving with his information. Um, People just really loved him when they met him because he was so generous. Uh, So because he and I had hosted so many events and gotten to know so many people, we had offers of housing. I mean, he never paid for housing after that, really, to park his tiny house. Um, And then I had friends who had a backyard and they'd offered me that space. So I moved there. And, you know, originally I thought, oh, it'd be cool to like live in one neighborhood in D.C. for six months because I had multiple offers, maybe live here for six months and then in another neighborhood and test out different neighborhoods. And then you realize once you actually own a tiny house, how big of a deal it is to move and get set up. And and I was like, no way. <laughs> I'm staying here until. <laughs> yeah. Watching the people move around the country like Tiny House Expedition. It's just yeah. amazing 
what they do because I'm the same way as you. I've been parked in the same place essentially since I finished building. I moved it about five miles and I'm not leaving that land until I have to because right. like <laughs> I'm hooked up to electricity and plumbing and water and like it's just it's a big deal. Yeah. I always tell people who I mean, luckily, I just led a little tiny house workshop a couple of weeks ago, and I asked folks, how many of you are building because you want to be mobile or you want to move? And none of them out of the 35 people raised their hands. I was like, good, you guys have the message. Whereas before, years ago when I would teach workshops, a lot of people were building them because they wanted to travel all the time. And I think right. folks now realize RV, van, something else for travel, tiny house is really um, to be able to place it right. you know, as an accessory dwelling unit or... It's a house that can be moved, not one that is designed to be moved all the time. Exactly. So how long did you live in a friend's backyard? And did you ever have any, you know, any issues with zoning or anything like that? Yeah, I lived there about three years full time. It was parked there probably almost four years, but I was kind of splitting my time the first year. Um, I didn't have any issues with zoning, no. And I was, you know, I do what a lot of tiny house folks do. It was a group house that I was parked in the back of. So I was on the main lease. The landlord was fine. Um, you know, technically I had space and access to the house. I used laundry facilities, could use a bathroom in there if I wanted. Uh, so that's one way to, you know, protect yourself if you're living in your tiny house. And should anything happen, it's like it's your studio that you spend a lot of time in, but you still have access to a main space. It's almost like it's like the detached bedroom model. Exactly. Yeah. Mm hmm. I want to tell you about our next sponsor, tinyhouseforum.com. Tinyhouseforum is an online community for exchanging information, ideas, and resources related to the tiny house movement all in one central location. Tiny House Forum is dedicated to inspiring and nurturing all who are interested in furthering their knowledge of the tiny house revolution. And right now, you can be entered to win $500 cash by joining Tiny House Forum and making your first few posts. You can learn more about the contest and sign up at tinyhouseforum.com. Tinyhouseforum.com is 100% free to use and joining is easy. Head on over to tinyhouseforum.com to participate in the discussions or start a new topic of your own and be entered to win $500 cash. Thank you so much to Tiny House Forum for sponsoring our show. And so what made you decide to kind of take the plunge and then buy by a big house. <laughs> so it's counterintuitive, but I was ready to uh, do some more travel, kind of leave DC for a while. And I really wanted to own the spot where my tiny house was parked. And through teaching workshops, I've met a lot of folks in this area who, you know, I think one of the misconceptions around tiny houses is that people build them uh, maybe for mobility or for environmental reasons, but the majority of people I know building them, it's for financial freedom, right? They they want to take control over their own housing situation and not be tied into a 30-year mortgage or they can't afford a down payment or why spend that money on a down payment when you can own the house outright. So through one of the workshops, I met a woman. Uh, she was using a program called NACA, which is a nationwide mortgage, and she ended up buying a duplex in D.C., and I saw her go through that process and thought, oh my gosh, there's no down payment, no private mortgage insurance. I could afford to do this if I could find a house within my range that I can afford the mortgage on if it has a backyard, and then I can have my tiny house there. 
Um, I really do like living with other people. And so I wanted a house that could be kind of a group house. So I've got two housemates and another person who spends some time in the tiny house. So there's four of us. So that was my main motivation was just ownership over the land that I had my house, even though it probably won't stay here forever. I'd like it to be out in the countryside as a little retreat at some point in time. Um, but yeah, and then to have home base that I can always come back to in D.C. What is NACA? I'm sure people are going to be curious when they yeah, have heard you say that. It's um, so NACA is actually a, a nonprofit based out of Massachusetts, I believe, and they do a lot of work around housing rights and, and affordable housing issues. After the crash, the mortgage, um, the mortgage uh, failure, whatever you want to call it, I can't remember, um, of 2008, yeah. the federal government mandated that, I think it's Citibank and U.S. Bank, two of the biggest uh, sort of those implicated in the mortgage crisis, that they provide a mortgage to folks so that they can't get in over their head. So basically non-predatory lending. So it's really geared towards sort of middle to lower income um, neighborhoods and folks who have been targeted in the past around predatory lending. So it's a different way that you qualify for the mortgage. You qualify based on your savings rate. It's really great for people of non-traditional incomes, but it is a process. It's very bureaucratic. It takes about a year, uh, but it's well worth it for the savings. And you lock in your mortgage, you lock in a, an interest rate that's below market and you can uh, buy down that interest rate. So since you don't have a down payment, you can really use some of your savings to buy down your interest rate as well. And then are there restrictions on how you can use the house? You, yeah, it has to be your primary residence, which is why I live in my house and not my tiny house. So. Right. But then you're able to, you know, rent the tiny house or use it as right. that mm -hmm. studio that you spend a lot of time in. Et cetera. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. I think that that's. I think you're right that a lot of people go into the tiny house movement for the financial freedom. And I think that we all have to be really creative about how we get this done because, mm -hmm. you know, it's still even though tiny houses are super affordable coming up with thirty, fifty, seventy thousand dollars is not something that many of us just have no. offhand. So, you know, there is a creative aspect and I I think what you've done, you know, finding a way to buy a traditional house in a way that is affordable, which then allows you to kind of have a space to host a tiny house, is it's great. Yeah. Thanks. You're welcome. So um, the reason that I, you know, had initially, I've, you've been on my list of like people I want to interview. And then <laughs> I saw, I don't know, you know, sometimes Instagram just like shows you things. And I saw Cotiera and that, you know, you're going on a tour teaching, teaching workshops. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. I want to get the word about, out yeah. about this. Um, so what is, what is Cotiera? Let's start there. So, yeah, we'll start there. So after we kind of disbanded Boneyard Studios, we kept the name up for a while just because Jay and I were doing events. But I do do some tiny house consulting. It's not something I really am doing full time or do I necessarily want to, but I do do a lot of workshops. And so I'm like, well, I do need another business name. And I've always worked around the intersection of like land rights as a geographer and then housing issues. So Koti in Finnish, which I'm a Finnish background, um, means home in tierra in Spanish obviously means land and I've worked a lot in Latin America and so I just kind of combined the two words because I was looking for a name and 
there's a tree that's called Cotierra, but other than that, there, no one else was using the name. And I liked the, you know, rather than calling myself like Homeland Consulting or something like that, um, creating a name that sounded nice. Plus, if you take CO instead, like Cotierra, then it sounds like co-creating. Um, so that's kind of how the name came about. And it's basically just my business, you know, my own LLC to kind of do some of the consulting and teaching I do. So tying in this workshop tour that you saw, the woman I was talking about who had taken one of my classes and then used the NACA program, she ended up rehabbing her duplex. It was a total gut job. She guided me through the process of using NACA and getting my large house. And then I had unexpected renovations. She comes from a contractor background and one of her um, regrets in life was never going into business with her father. And throughout the years, we've been friends in D.C. and we've all, you know, we've been doing our projects. and people, especially women, kept asking us like, well, how did you know how to do this? And you've got all these tools, you've, you've taken on these large renovation projects. And we both said, well, we just learned while doing. So some of our friends had asked if we would do a workshop. So in January, we, you know, designed a four hour workshop and did it here in D.C. It went well but it was mostly our friends. And so then we did another one and we thought, are we going to get people? And we did. And then we went to Richmond and we sold out in Richmond and the women down there basically said, well, where are you going next? What other cities? Um, and I had bought a van and I'd been, been car free for 15 years, but I've always wanted to do a little camper van. So I picked one out. That's a good city driver as well. And we thought, well, I knew I was quitting my job, going to take some time off. So just like, let's design a little tour. And it turned into something larger than we thought. We've got um, a couple national sponsors, which is great. And the workshop really is all about project planning. Uh, that's the one thing that when I started my tiny house journey, I did not realize I wasn't building my tiny house. I ended up building a lot of it myself, but I had hired someone who I knew who was a builder. And I really didn't understand that you're still your own project manager, even if you have if you're hiring someone to build your tiny house. I didn't recognize the emotional fatigue that goes in the decision paralysis, how one decision made at the beginning can impact your whole design. None of that. So we took our experiences together and designed a workshop around project planning for a renovation or build. And then the second half of it is really how do you find and vet contractors? How do you work with contractors, your legal rights and responsibilities, should something go wrong? Um, so it's a really great workshop. We also have men take it. It's not just for women, but uh, we do market it that way because we find a lot of women, there's some great statistics, like single women are buying homes at two times the rate of single men. And surprisingly, I thought, you know, most women would maybe be buying condos for less maintenance, but two thirds of those women are actually buying single family residences. Then when you factor in the fact that about two thirds, like 67% of our homes in the US are in need of major work or renovation, um, you have this demographic of people who have been told, you know, kind of subconsciously that we're not supposed to be doing building or we don't know how to contractors when you call them to your house. Oftentimes, if you have a male partner, they'll speak to the guy thinking that they're the ones who are doing it. So. Yeah, so that's kind of how that came about. That sounds wonderful. So it sounds like it's not just for tiny houses. It's for No, it's it's mostly geared towards women who are buying homes and and looking to take on renovation projects. But 
the way it's designed, it's very, very useful for anyone taking on a tiny house project as well, if they're building it themselves or working with a builder, because we just go through the basics of project planning. How do you estimate your finances, your budget? Where do you go look for materials? So it's, you know, it's definitely applicable to a new build as well as a renovation project. Nice. So where, so it sounds like you're going on tour. I wanted to ask, A, what kind of, what kind of van did you do and how have you mm-hmm. built it out? And then B, yeah. I obviously want to hear about where you're going. Yeah. So the van, um, I did a lot of research over the last couple of years. I ended up with a Ram ProMaster City, which I thought I wanted to do a little Ford Transit Connect, but I went to a dealership that had some used models of both. And I liked the way the Ram ProMaster City drove. Of course, I hadn't really researched that van. And then I got home and joined a face group group for it and people were bitching about all the issues they had however like anything it seems like people love or hate it and there was it's a recent it's the um fiat doblo in europe and so it's only the ram promester city has only been in existence in the u.s since 2015 so it seems like most of the issues people have had have been with that first year's model and i got a 2016 Uh, so so far so good had no issues i've driven it to minnesota and back And then as far as the build out, I really wanted to keep it simple and I wanted it to be that it wasn't constantly a a camper van. So I didn't do slide outs like you see in the Wayfarer van where you can take out your components, but I did do a long bench along one side that then has three components that flip over to a bed. And I didn't do, I did insulate and I used cork insulation because that both gives you the sound deadening and the insulating properties. And I wasn't going to cover the cork because it kind of looks cool, but I ended up covering it with fabric. Uh, But I didn't do any framing to make shelves or anything. I just did a lot of um, those L, I guess they're called uh, L brackets, not L brackets, L track. And you can put those on the sides and I hang like those fabric shoe hangers and fabric hangers. And then those are really easy to take out so that when I'm in the city and using it as my daily driver and my project vehicle, I can take out my cushions, I can take out all the storage, and I can go to Home Depot and throw lumber in and really bang, bang it up without, you know, having to worry about messing up my camper van. Smart. Yeah, I think that's great because these vans that people convert, if they're not going to be traveling in them full time, it's like it's almost too nice to use right. for projects, but like that is what they're made for. And it's, it's nice to be able to get both for sure. Yeah. Um, so on, so that, that sounds awesome. And I know that people are going to want to see pictures of the van. Um, are there any pictures of the interior? So I am getting ready to post them on Instagram. Okay. So you can follow me at Cotiera and then also our website, the new uh, we will be blogging and vlogging from our trip, and we're going to be posting some photos of the van. We just had our van party on Sunday night. We had like 100 people come through, friends and supporters, uh, to see it before we hit the road. So we just kind of are still putting the finishing touches on it. Nice. And where yeah. are you going on your tour? So we are doing a tour this time of the Southeast and Midwest. So we go from D.C. through Richmond, Durham, Atlanta, Nashville, St. Louis. Kansas City, Des Moines, Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Chicago, Indianapolis, Columbus, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh. Back wow. to DC. <laughs> that's a that's a big tour. Yeah. Yeah. And we're gonna be mostly um at co-working spaces. We've got um 
And then we've got some other venues that are hosting us as well. And we've been doing some partnerships. And our main sponsor, our national sponsor, is Floor and Decor. So we'll be carrying around a few supplies for them. And they're um, a financial sponsor of ours. Great. So they basically, you know, you'll have some hardwood flooring and some tile and and just just their easy DIY. They've got these snap together tiles. So they didn't have actually we we were expecting to have to carry some major stuff for them, but it's a small box of of things that people can see. But yeah, they're pretty um DIY friendly. So we thought it's, you know, great for our audience of people who take the workshop. Nice. Yeah. And where where can people go to find these tour dates? Is that also at the newhomemakers.com? The new homemakers.com. Yep. And for anyone listening, um, I am reaching out to a lot of the tiny house folks I know in different cities. We do have a discount for tiny house people of 30% off. So that discount code is homemaker30. But I'm going to try to, I've been sending it out to tiny house folks. So if they've got distribution lists, they're willing and able, they can share that as well. Awesome. Yeah. And I will, um, on the show notes page for this episode, which I'll say at the end because I don't. Off the top of my head, I don't know what episode number this is. Um, mm-hmm. I'll link to all this. And so I'll, I'll give a URL at the end where people can find the photos and the links to all your stuff. Right. Yeah. So you also mentioned you are busy. You have uh, coming up on this fall, you're going to be working with the American Tiny House Association. Yeah. So we've been in correspondence for like over the last year now. Um, I don't know how many of the listeners know, but uh, Kevin Polk is the new kind of director of the American Tiny House Association as of last year. And he had reached out. We had been in contact. I've known Kevin for years. Um, and he'd heard that I'd done kind of a prototype of a database uh, for collecting information around zoning related to tiny houses across the country. And he said, American Tiny House Association has been wanting to build this, you know, let's you know, do you want to kind of be a consultant on it and you can build it? And so I said, sure. Um, I've, you know, lost a couple people in my life, including my mother last year. So a crazy year and just thought, okay, well, once I quit my job, I'll have more time to do this. So the idea is, is it'll be a crowdsourced application hosted on ATHA's website. Um, but we are going to be reaching out to all the different tiny house meetup groups uh, and other groups around the country, and I'll can lead webinars for those groups on how to populate the database. So it will really be user driven. So we're gonna, you know, rely on volunteers across the country to populate this database. But then the great thing is, is it'll be available for all. And so city officials or community groups who want to see different models, you know, you'd be able to see, okay, you know, out in Fresno, you know, they're allowing tiny houses on wheels as accessory dwelling units. Okay, in Cincinnati, they're allowing tiny houses on wheels on a standalone lot. And how are they doing that? And you'll have links to the different um, zoning for each of those areas. And then also just, you know, whether or not the, even for places that don't have zoning specific, because there's not that many related just to tiny houses on wheels, but you know, what's the zoning in those jurisdictions around parking a travel trailer on your property, uh, because that's the zoning that a lot of tiny house folks who are kind of in the gray area have to look at. That's awesome. That sounds like it'll be a great resource. I know that yeah. zoning and planning offices are very, nobody likes to be first. Nobody likes to be like, we're going to pioneer this new thing. So right. if you can go in and say like, 
look, this town, similar size, similar demographic, like they did it. And here's their here's how they wrote it up. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And so will that be like a free resource or will you need to like be a member of American Tiny House Association? How will that work? Well, I'm hoping it'll be, I mean, I'm a big proponent of open and free data. However, I also know that, you know, stuff takes money to um, develop. And so it just, I guess, I guess it kind of depends on the number of volunteers we get. And I would say, I mean, I'm going to propose to ATHA, like if people volunteer to populate it, that they get access to it. But I think on their website, they have a lot of login information. So yeah, maybe you'll need to be a member of ATHA, but I think we should all be supporting that organization anyways. It's like $30 for the year and yeah. they're doing so much great work around advocacy. So, but yeah, it should, you know, when, whenever we're asking people to volunteer their time to populate data, there's, I work in the field, um, you know, of geospatial and data. And so I'm a big proponent of open data. Yeah. So, I was actually, there. so that, that's an exciting project. And I, I will definitely keep my eye on it and um, let people know about it when, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to fruition. I was actually going to ask you, because in, in your bio, the first thing it says is that you're a geographer. Um, yeah. So <laughs> what does a modern day geographer do? So I always like to explain geography as the why of where is the simple, simple answer. So why do certain phenomena occur in a specific place? And how does that differ from other places and the phenomena that occur there? You know, we're looking at, I was just talking with someone the other day. It's like, we're looking at displacement issues around gentrification. Um, for instance, in DC, it's like the fastest gentrifying city in the nation right now. Uh, but then I've also worked in the country of Colombia, uh, looking at displacement issues in very rural areas around conflict and around natural resource extraction. So like a geographer would look at those two things and say, are there commonalities here? How does displacement differ depending on if you're in an urban area or rural area? Or are there um, sort of forces that are generalized throughout that always lead to displacement, looking at patterns and effects? So Geographers combine the physical sciences with the social sciences and then technology as far as geospatial mapping. Cool. Yeah. And is that what you did in your work for the government? Yeah. So I was a geographer at EPA. Um, I helped develop a, our geospatial platform across the agency. And I did a lot of outreach and training and helping people tell stories with maps and data. Um, it was very fun. I, the thing I love about being a geographer is it does have a creative side to it because we have that design element with making maps. So it really kind of encompasses a lot of my different interests. I like the way geographers kind of interrogate the world. And then I love the artistic aspect as far as figuring out how to creatively display things um, in a visual format for people to see. Awesome. So one thing that I like to ask all of my guests um, is what is two or three resources that helped you out along on your tiny house journey that you'd like to share with our listeners? So it could be like books or films or people or anything like that. Okay, gosh. That's, <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, I did mine so long ago. It, back in the day, there weren't so many resources. I don't think you had your tiny house resource guide yet. So a lot of us were um, corresponding via email. Like I reached out, I mean, I went and toured Jay's, Jay Schaefer's house. 
he talked with me. I talked with Dee Williams. I would be in contact with Macy Miller. Um, who else was building at the time? Ella Maybe. Don Jenkins. Ella, yes. Ella and I corresponded quite a bit. Um, Jenna Spassart, like yep. Jenna was building after me, but we were corresponding. There were just various people who were building all at the same time, and we all had blogs. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one. Um, second would really be my favorite resource, actually, was something that the architect who worked with me on mine um, gave to me, which is a subscription to find home building. You can get an online subscription for like $35, and they actually now have like a little course package too. I think it's like $75 and you get all these resources. A lot of people doing tiny houses don't think like they, tiny houses are regular construction, home construction. So every time I had a question, what kind of insulation should I use? Closed cell foam, open cell foam, um, you know, sheep wool. My builder would say, he would print off some articles from fine home building. They're written by experts and they're geared towards lay audiences. And I really learned quickly that building science isn't this is the one way to do it. There's multiple approaches to, to different problems. And it really helped me become more informed and make informative decisions, informed decisions for myself. So find home building subscription. And the third one, probably, well, Dee Williams's book was the one I was following, the little, the, her first guide she wrote. And then Dan Lausch, Dan Lausch or Dan Lausch? I never know how to pronounce his last name. I think it's Lausch, but I'm not sure either. Okay. Yeah. He had a book too, Tiny Home. So those were kind of the two books available at the time. And I think they're both still available. They were great books. Yeah. Go House Go is Dee's yep. book. And I, same thing, like those two books, I got those and those yep. were, those were basically it. Yeah. So those are my three. Nice. Well, that's a great, great selection. What, if you, um, if you were going to recommend a book or film or something about, um, geographers or about geography what would you recommend oh goodness um to to us lay people but, too yeah i'm trying to think of one maybe around housing Whew. i haven't been reading much geographical stuff lately i like anything in the political ecology realm but i don't know that there's any non-academic textbooks um everyone knows jared diamond a lot of geographers don't like him he wrote guns germs and steel he wrote because they feel like it simplifies geography it's like too pop much. Geography. Exactly. But I'm I don't mind. I mean, if a geographer is out there writing and getting a lot of traction, go for it. Um Yeah, sorry, I don't have anything off the top of my head right now. <laughs> That's okay. I put you on the spot. So yeah. my my bad. Well, Lee Para, it was so great to meet you and thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Yeah, thanks Ethan for having me. This was fun. Glad we got to finally meet, even though it was over Skype. <laughs> me too. Yeah. You can find the show notes for today's episode, including links to Lee's tour schedule, her website, and a reminder of what that promo code was over at thetinyhouse.net slash 074. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 074. There are also some awesome photos of Lee and her tiny house and the van that we talked about that Lee converted. I also want to thank both of this week's sponsors the Strategic Insurance Agency, and tinyhouseforum.com. Thank you both so much for sponsoring the show. We couldn't do it without you. Well, that's all for this week. 
I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.